Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers in our group. Happy Mother's Day to those of you who had mothers. So there you go. I think we've covered everyone, haven't we? <laughs> we are in week 35 of a 52 weeks core 52, core principles that the scriptures teach are important for us to understand. Today, we're looking at the core concept of communion. We celebrate communion every week, and yet sometimes we may need a reminder. One of the things I love about living downtown, many of you know where I live, is that every morning I walk out my door to the view of this lovely lady right here. Do we have a picture of her? Ah, look at her. Isn't she pretty? Her name is Missy Indiana, and she stands atop the Soldiers, Sailors, and Pioneer uh, Monument there on the Bedford Square. May, uh, Becky Boer, one of our attenders here, works for the, the, uh, the museum, and she wrote this amazing article that gives a lot of history about, about her. This, this gal's name uh, is modeled, she is modeled after a woman in our community named Mamie Hubbard, and Mamie Hubbard was a payroll clerk with one of the, uh, the stone companies here in town back in the 20s. Mamie would walk from her home on J Street to her workplace, and along the way she would pass a stonemason's, a stone carver's shop. His name was Harry Easton. And one day, Harry said, hey, Mamie, come here. I want to measure your neck. Now, ladies, girls, if someone says, I want to measure your neck, run that by someone before you go in and have them measure your neck. But in this instance, it was great because he was a real, real, the real deal. He measured her neck, and so the neck you see there is Mamie Hubbard's neck. Now, I don't think it's just her neck because her son, uh, when he was older, he looked at, at the statue and said, oh, there's definitely my mother's uh, bone structure in the face as well. So I believe Mamie probably was the inspiration not just for her neck but for her face as well. So when completed, uh, a train, this is back way back uh, almost 100 years ago, when completed, a train brought the statue along J Street close to the courthouse and a derrick was built to take it from this train to the site. Many of you have seen this picture before. This is pretty interesting. The courthouse no longer looks that way, you might notice. But you see some of the older buildings back behind there are still in existence there on our Bedford Square. And, of course, Mamie is being lifted up. She looks very impressive there uh, on her way to her final resting place. That took place in 1923, November of 1923. Next November, not this coming one, but the one next Miss Indiana, Mamie, will be 100 years old. She's a daily reminder to me of the men and women and the, and the industries that made our community what it is. She is a lovely reminder of that. Now, here's what's interesting. A couple months ago, I had a conversation with a young high school student, and he was asking where I lived, and I said, oh, I live on the square. Uh, he goes, really? Really? I said, yeah, right across from the statue. He goes, statue? I said, yeah, the statue on the square. He goes, there's a statue on the square? I said, yes, the giant woman statue. He goes, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I said, yes, you do. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Man, it's hard to believe that a reminder like this would need a reminder. And yet today we're going to be looking at a reminder that Jesus gave us that sometimes we need our own reminder about. So today we're going to be looking at communion. And if you're like me, a little reminder never hurts. 
Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapters 10 and 11, so you can have that open while we're talking, just give you some reference points as we're, as we're discussing what communion should look like. And uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to pray, and we'll get started. Father, this morning we thank you for the reminders you place in our lives. Um, Mother's Day is a wonderful reminder uh, to honor the, 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 the women in our lives who have influenced us so much. Um, and especially those who have influenced us to be more and more like you. We thank you for them. And we thank you for uh, a Sunday. Every week we get a chance to come together and be reminded from your word about you. And here at Sherwood Oaks, we were reminded every week of you, of your work on the cross, Jesus and his sacrifice through uh, the time of communion. So today as we unpack the scriptures and, and uh, remind ourselves again of that moment, we pray that you would speak to us and enable us to see and enjoy and partake of this moment with deeper meaning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, churches all do it different. I don't know. We've got a lot of different church histories and backgrounds and cultures uh, represented here in this group. Um, the church I grew up as a young kid, I don't remember really ever doing communion. It was a little country church not too far from here. But we moved to Germany. Uh, we were part of a church there. And, and I remember the first time we had communion at that church, the plate was passed. And in the cup, in the cup section, there were cups with white juice and with red juice. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know what this is about. And I think my mom leaned up and said, the white is wine. Take the red. <laughs> Maybe you grew up in a church where communion was always served with wine. That was not my history growing up. Uh, but it just reminds us that different churches use slightly different elements. Even the bread itself. Uh, can be different. Some people use a loaf. Some people do the little wafer thing. Some people use a little pellet thing. Um, ours are homemade, by the way. We have Kenna Hodges to thank for our homemade communion bread. It is a delight every time uh, that we share it. Maybe the frequency is different than what you grew up in. You might have attended churches like my early one where I don't even really remember ever having communion. Some people do it once a year at Palm Sunday or another meaningful moment. Some people do it once every quarter. Some people do it once a month. Here at Sherwood Oaks, we do it once a week. But there are some churches that do it any and every time people gather in Jesus' name. They offer communion. And that's what I would say. We offer it. Every week, you are under no obligation or expectation to take it every week, but we want to make sure we offer it if you do want to take it. Now, there are different names, different elements, different uh, frequencies, and different names. So here at Sherwood Oaks, we usually call it communion. And I love the word communion and the name communion because it, it speaks of that fellowship we have both with God, but also with the people within the body of Christ here that we share that meal with. That word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uses that word koinonia, translated communion, in two ways. He says this in uh, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So we use the word communion here. We also use the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table, depending on who's actually talking about it. I love that terminology, too, because it reminds us that it's his table and his meal that he has invited us to. Paul, Paul uses both those terms in chapter 10 and chapter 11. But those terms remind us that communion is ultimately about 
Jesus. You may have grown up in a church where they used the term Eucharist. Anyone grew up with the term Eucharist growing up? Yeah, back in the back. So Eucharist is, is a, a Latin word meaning thanksgiving. And it's the perfect word to describe the attitude that we should have when we come to the Lord's table. It actually describes what Jesus did himself on that night that he shared that meal with his disciples. The scriptures say that Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, or Eucharisto, Eucharist, he broke it and shared it with his disciples. Now, I've got a friend who is, who is licensed to distribute the host. That's the way she describes it. The host, anyone grow up using that term? With, uh, yeah, if you've got some sort of Catholic background or went to Catholic school, then you've maybe used the word host. And that word host is not like we think of the, the host of the party. It's actually another Latin word, hostia, and it means the sacrificial victim. Well, that's a perfect word to remember and describe Jesus, who became the sacrificial lamb of God. Remember John? They're knee-deep and waist-deep in the Jordan River, baptizing people who were coming and repenting of their sins. And Jesus appears, and John says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Perfectly encapsulated in that word hostia, or host. You may have been part of a church that just simply referred to it as the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And of course, we can see where that comes from. Jesus taking the bread and breaking it. The bread of life being broken for us as well. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Maybe you have always heard this referred to as the sacrament or the holy or blessed sacrament. That's a good word, sacrament. Sacrament refers to a, a religious ritual or practice that, that imparts some sort of tangible divine grace. It's more than a metaphor. It's more than a symbol. It's something that has more to it than just that. Catholics believe that the, the cup of the Lord and the bread that we, that we break and eat actually becomes the physical body and blood of Jesus. Now, I I, I have some issues with that interpretation, but what I don't have an issue with is this idea that the, that the communion elements are more than merely bread and juice. They signify something deeply, deeply transformative, both spiritually and physically. In fact, later on, Paul will say, if you don't do this in a worthy manner, you can, you can experience sickness and sometimes even death which means it's, it's more significant than merely symbolic. In fact, our core verse this week comes from uh, John chapter 6, 5, and 3, and Jesus seems to say the same thing. He says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That seems like a big deal, doesn't it? But here's the deal. However you describe and however you think and reference communion in your mind, the bottom line is this, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so this is a moment when Christians all over the globe share in the memory of what Jesus and only Jesus accomplished and what only Jesus could accomplish on the cross. So here every week we get a chance to do that, to remember that because 
we understand that remembering is important. Now, there are lots of rememberings in the Bible. You might call them memorials. If you know the Old Testament stories, you may remember Jacob who left his father's home and, and went to, a, to his uncle's place. And on the way, he, he rests, he falls asleep, and he has this dream, this vision of a ladder extending from heaven to earth with angels coming up and going down. And when he wakes up, he realizes something significant has happened. He has been visited and comforted by God. And so Jacob builds an altar a memorial there at that place so that he would remember God's visitation. You know the story of Moses and how he led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And along the way, God led them and provided for them. And along the way, at each, at each critical juncture, they would put a stone of memorial there just to remind them of God's provision. When Joshua, Moses has died, and Joshua now is leading them into final, the final push into the promised land. And they come to the Jordan River, and God parts the waters for them to pass through. And in memory of this divine miracle of God, again, God providing, Joshua has the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes take these giant stones and put them on the shores of the Jordan so that they and successive generations would not forget how God had provided for them. Even the celebration of the Passover, celebrating the moment when, when God, God miraculously passed over the land of Egypt and, and put judgment on their captors, but rescued and protected his own people. That Passover meal is a memorial meal. Three weeks ago, I was in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. Here's a beautiful picture of Temple Mount. We were up really, really early in the morning. There was no one there. Temple Mount is itself a memorial to where Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his only son in obedience to God. In the north of Israel, there's this beautiful snow-capped mountain called Mount Hermon. Many believe that this is the mountain that Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah together, and the disciples who witnessed this um, were astonished and amazed. And they said, we need to build a memorial here. Well, the bread and the cup that we're going to share in just a moment do the same things. They are a memorial and a reminder. They remind us of two, two things, at least. They remind us of who we are and whose we are. So they first remind us who we are. We are people who have trusted and put our confidence in a God who gives us his only son so that we might have eternal life. We believe in the efficacy of of the cross of Jesus. But the second thing that it does, it reminds me of whose we are. Now that we have been bought with a price through the cross of Christ, we now belong to him. He has a claim on our lives. And so every time we do this in memory of him, we come to his table, we share his meal, he commands us to be there, and we respond because we now belong to him. And this cup and this bread remind us of that. We enter this moment with an attitude of worship, with joy and humility. And when we enter that way, we do it in a worthy manner. But the scriptures make it pretty clear that we can also enter this moment in an unworthy manner. One of the most, I think, um, sobering verses is this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord 
in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's sobering. It should be. So we want to observe and celebrate and participate in this act of communion, this moment of communion, in a worthy manner. So how do we do that? Well, today's Mother's Day, and my mother taught me a few things in life, and one of them was what to do before I cross the street. What are you supposed to do before you cross the street? Look both ways. Your mother trains you well. Actually, I asked Zara this earlier. I said, what did your mother tell you to do before you cross the street? Hold on to her hand. Yes, that's another good lesson. That is another good lesson. But the one we want to lean in right now is we look both ways. And so in communion, we do that. We look both ways, but we also look backward and forward and inside and around us. And if we do that, we will be observing the Lord's Supper communion in a worthy manner. So we remember Jesus by looking behind us. Seems self-explanatory, really. This is a moment where we get to reflect and give thanks to God for the grace demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. And just like those 12 stones there on the banks of the Jordan that Joshua had the elders pile up, every time we do this, we get to remember God's gracious provision for us through Jesus. Are you thankful for that this morning? If you are, you're on your way to being ready to take communion. We also remember Jesus and we honor Jesus by looking ahead. There's something fascinating about this moment of communion that we don't lean into often enough, and that is this. The scriptures say that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Jesus himself told his disciples, he goes, I won't eat this meal again with you until the kingdom is fulfilled. Communion is a wonderful reminder aha, that Jesus isn't done yet. He is with us, but he is also coming again for us. And every time we eat this meal, in some sense, it is an hors d'oeuvre preparing us for the big supper that we're going to have later in heaven, the marriage feast of the Lamb, where together with all the saints, those who have come before us and those who will come after us, will be seated around this giant table with Jesus at the head. We will be the bride of Christ and will share in this wedding feast. And communion is this moment that we remember Jesus is coming again for us. I love that. We remember Jesus, and we do this in remembrance of him when we remember that he's coming again for us. Now, this is the one that I think most of us are familiar with when we prepare for communion. We remember Jesus when we examine ourselves, when we look inside. In fact, Corinthians says it this way, a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and to drink the cup. And what does it mean to examine ourselves? What well, means to recognize this, that we have been bought with a price. And as we said earlier, Jesus now has a claim on our lives. We are not our own. <laughs> we belong to him. And there are very likely, I'm going out on a limb here, but there are very likely some areas of our lives that do not perfectly conform to his lordship in our lives. Am I the only one who still wrestles with areas that I have not fully surrendered to Jesus in every respect. Well, I'm the only one, it seems like. So 
That's all right. That's all right. The fact that you guys have moved beyond is fantastic. But I, but I want to just remind you of something. In Joshua, there's the story of a man named Achan. And you can read his story in Joshua chapter 7. But Achan steals from God and then lies about it. And that stealing and that, that theft and that lying brings troubles onto the Israelites and their encampment. And trying to figure out where the trouble has come from, they discover that Achan has lied and stolen from God. God destroys Achan and his family. And the Israelites then do something very unique. Mostly when we build memorials, we want to commemorate something great and grand. But the Israelites built a memorial to celebrate trouble and grief and God's judgment. They build a memorial there at a place called Anchor, A-N-C-H-A-O-R, which translates trouble. Because Achan's sin brought grief and trouble on the Israelites. That's the truth about sin. Sin brings grief and trouble on our lives, and not just our lives, but it can bring grief and trouble onto others as well. And so when we approach the Lord's table, we do it with a deep look inside. We examine ourselves. And I love the prayer of David when he opened himself humbly up to God and said, Lord, search me and know my heart. In fact, let's just read Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I tell you what, what I have discovered about that prayer is that God, sometimes we pray things and, and we say, Lord, in your perfect timing, answer our prayer. This is one of those prayers that I feel like God answers before we even finish praying it. When I say with humility, Jesus, Holy Spirit, search me and know my... Oh, oh, there it is. God has answered my prayer right then. And I go, ah, yes, I know it. I know it, Lord. I know it. And we get the chance immediately to confess that sin, repent of it. And the beautiful thing is, <laughs> he is as quick to forgive as he is to convict, maybe even faster, I don't know. But it seems like it's right away. God says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess and repent of those sins. Now, if we fail to do this, the scriptures indicate that we are guilty of taking communion in an unworthy manner. And again, in verse 29, he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Catch this. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. The bread and the cup are not merely metaphors. There's something significant that happens in this moment if we don't do it in a worthy manner. Communion taken without examination can have physical and spiritual repercussions. So we ask Jesus by the Holy Spirit to search us and test us and know us and lead us, and Jesus always answers that prayer. So... We look behind us with thanksgiving. We look ahead of us with joyful anticipation. We look inside of us with, with humility and a, and a heart of repentance. And the last place we look is we look around. We look around us. 
We see who is around us. Last week, Kerry Curry spoke, and he, he shared this beautiful, beautiful metaphor of the table. And I love the family table. This evening, we're going to gather with my folks, and we're going to gather around my sister's table, and we're going to honor the mothers in our family. But every week, we get the chance to gather around a table and, and love on each other and love on Jesus, just like a family table. Communion is the moment to remember Jesus as we love and care for each other. There's plenty of scriptures that indicate that the way we treat each other is counted as the same way we treat Jesus. Whether it's feeding and clothing and visiting, Jesus says, you've done it to me if you've done it to the least of these. So as we treat and care for each other in the body of Christ, we are also caring and treating Jesus. And he says, remember me by honoring and caring for those among you. So if there's any relationship severing, any any bitterness or unforgiveness or unrepentance between in relationships, those things need to be addressed before we share communion. And if we don't, it puts us in danger of taking communion in an unworthy manner. In chapter uh, 11, verse 17, Paul goes through, through a lot of stuff, but he, he talks about the church being, being divisive and tr- people disagreeing over little stuff and he goes it it doesn't surprise me because of course you need to prove who's closest to God by your opinions on things that may not ultimately matter that much he says instead man you you need to come together in unity he says you guys are coming together and, and what you're eating is not the Lord's Supper you're all eating on your own you're only eating with people you like and so some people go away hungry and some people go away drunk ah Several years back up at IU, the, the, uh, the IU Symphony usually did a, used to do a big 4th of July concert out on one of the athletic fields. And, and people who are members of the, of the symphony orchestra uh, group um, would, uh, would host these big box lunch socials. Many of you remember what box lunch socials are. People would bring picnic baskets filled with food, and then they would invite some friends to join them, and they'd spread the blanket out. We'd all gather in a circle and, and enjoy the meal together while we waited for the, the, the orchestra to start and then the fireworks later. It was a gr- I've done it a couple times. It's always a lot of fun. It's always interesting to see what other groups have brought because, you know, you've, got, you've always got the group that's like, hey, we're going to do, you know, ham salad and Big Red. And then there's the group that says, oh, no, no, we're doing roasted chicken and grilled asparagus and we'll have champagne. And, of course, you know, my group is the Big Red and ham salad group, always. Uh, and I'm looking over going, how do I get invited into that group right there? Those are my people over there. <laughs> That's what's happening here in Corinthians. These guys are bringing their own food and separating themselves up. Instead of this being a meal of unity, it becomes a meal that highlights their disunity. That's doing it in an unworthy manner. Here in a couple of weeks, uh, when we do our single service Sunday on the 29th, we're going to have a pitch-in after our 1030 service. And my hope and prayer is that we won't separate into our little clusters of people we're super familiar with and friends with and really like, but we sort of branch out and we meet some new people and we enjoy and, and, learn, about, uh, and learn about others. The Corinthians forgot that they were one body redeemed through the work of Jesus on the cross. They forgot Jesus instead of remembering Jesus. So from all of this, we can see that 
That taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner can mean taking it thoughtlessly without gratitude for the work of the cross. We can take it joylessly with no awareness or anticipation of his coming again. We can take it pridefully, ignoring, ignoring the sin in our own lives with no heart of repentance for the way that we dishonor Jesus. And we can take it callously with no regard for the way that we dishonor Jesus in the way we treat others. Taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, however, does not mean that you yourself need to be worthy to take it. I'm using the word worthy in quotation marks because oftentimes we do this. I remember as a child, communion would come around and there was, there was such a strong emphasis on repentance and sin and making sure your heart was absolutely right with God that it could leave you with the impression that if you weren't absolutely perfect, then you weren't worthy to take communion. Did you ever get stressed? Have you ever been stressed before you took communion? Well, let me tell you this. No one is worthy to take communion. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not worthy to take communion. (laughs) Now, maybe you're scratching your head a little bit, but let me just say it again more forcefully this time. None of your good is good enough to make you worthy. None of your good is good enough to make you worthy. You ever have a good day? Man, you wake up, it's like you had good dreams, and you wake up and you got this worship song on your mouth, and you do your morning devotions, and you have your coffee, and you just think about God, and and man, the day just tracks along, and everyone you meet, you're like, I'm really like being Jesus everywhere I go. And at the end of the night, you, you, you lay down your head, and you go, man, this day was absolutely perfect. I was, I was as much like Jesus as I, as I think I could ever be. Yeah, me neither. I, I do not have a lot of those days. But here's the truth. Even if I did, none of my good is good enough. My very best day does not qualify me to take communion. And the opposite is true. My very worst day does not disqualify me from taking communion. There's an old hymn that I grew up singing called Rock of Ages. And the second verse goes like this. Not the labors of my hand can fulfill thy law's demands. And could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. On your very, very best day, you're not qualified to take communion. And on your very, very worst day, you're not disqualified. Because worthiness doesn't rest in you. Remember, it's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's meal. And when he invites you, he says, my grace is sufficient and my righteousness covers. I make you worthy. So instead of talking about being worthy, I think it's probably more helpful to talk about being ready. I love this. Servers, as uh, we prepare to take up the offering, you guys can go ahead and and go back and, and get ready yourselves. It's not about being worthy. It's about being ready. Are you ready to take communion? There's a couple of things we ask ourselves. One, have I accepted Christ and received both his forgiveness and his righteousness? Am I living a life of, of, of obedience? 
We're going to do a baptism here on May 29th, the day that we do the single service with a pitch in. We're going to have the baptism ready to do baptisms. There's a few of you here that are ready to do that. Baptism is really that first step of obedience the scripture talks about, where we say, yes, I, I want to let everyone know that, that I am a Christian now. And now there's some sort of accountability in my life that people know, and I'm going to be walking in obedience. Do you have to take, uh, do you have to wait for your baptism to take communion? I don't think that's a requirement, but it should be a, a thought in our head. We're like, this is something I need to do to be obedient to Jesus. So be praying about that. If that's you, we want to help you uh, do that. And then, then finally, are you doing sort of the looking to your left and your right? Are you looking behind you and ahead of you and inside of you and around you? And if you've done those things and, and truly considered what this moment means in its fullness, I think you're ready to take communion. You say, Tim, I've got to tell you, um, that all sounds good, but I still struggle a little bit. And I'm going to tell you. Well, welcome to the group. We all, we all struggle. And here's the comforting thing that I've discovered. When I am struggling with obedience, when I am struggling with sin, communion is a wonderful blessing in my life. Where I get to, again, remind myself that it's not about how strong I am. It's about how strong and good Jesus is. However, let me give this caveat. Sometimes there are areas of our life where we have quit struggling, where, you, where we have said, I don't know, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. It's probably not a big deal to God. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really go around bragging about that, but yeah, it's not, it's so what, so what? If there are areas of your life where you have quit struggling, then I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. The first thing is this, humbly ask God to give you a sorrow over that sin. Ask him to give you strength and humility to begin again in obedience in those areas. And if you are sincere in that, I believe God will answer your prayer. Because the Lord's Supper is for sinners. But it's for repentant sinners. And if there's an area of your life where you're like, yeah, I'm not even going to bring it up to God because honestly I don't want to stop. I like my sin too much, then I would say communion is probably not for you today. Make sure you have that issue resolved. I'm going to have the, the servers go ahead and serve communion. As we do, we're going to just take a moment. I'm going to walk you through just a little contemplative moments where you get a chance to, to um, process through these four areas uh, and prepare your hearts for communion. So the first area that we're going to think about is how grateful we are. Is our gratitude centered on Jesus and what he's done? And, and take a moment to give thanks now for the cross and how God has brought you from a place of slavery into a place of freedom and hope. And once you've finished looking backward, 
and given thanks for the work of the cross, then look forward with anticipation and joy and remember and remind yourselves that despite what you're going through today, today is not the end of the story. Jesus is coming back again in victory and we will be with him forever. And then I'm going to ask you to consider the possibility of your own need for forgiveness and to look inside, examine your heart, and humbly repent of those areas that are still not falling under the Lordship of Jesus. And finally, I want you to think about looking around. You can either do it physically, look around, or just in your head. Consider the body of Christ here. And if there's any, any disunity or dissension between you and someone else, in your heart, go ahead and just offer forgiveness and release bitterness or, or frustration about that situation to, to Jesus. Let that go. If there's someone that you need to apologize to, Man, do it before you take communion. <laughs>